Good morning. My name is Rob. If you don't know me, whether you're here on site or watching us online, it is just wonderful to have you with us. Uh, my name is Rob. My, my wife's name is Tracy. And for years and years and years, she's been begging me to get a cat. I mean, years. I'm talking about years. Okay? So after plead, after plead, after plead, after plead, this year I finally decided that the time was right for us to get a dog. So we've got a dog, and now there's no danger of cats in the house, which is, which is wonderful. Because I know, I know there's a lot of cat lovers in the world, and I actually do love cats as long as I'm not responsible for looking after them. Because cats aren't pets. Let's be honest. Cats, cats are like hotel guests, five-star hotel guests that look to you and be like, where's my food, mate? Where's my food? It's not as good as last time. What's going on? That's how cats roll. And, and that's fine. I mean, some people like cats for that. They love the attitude and the way that they kind of look at us and, and kind of have that superiority about them. But for me, I'm kind of a dog guy, to be honest. I like a dog that looks at me with affection. Because, you know, dogs and cats are different. Dogs look at you and they say, you feed me, you love me, you take care of me. Therefore, you are my master and I will serve you with all of my life. Whereas cats go, you feed me, you look after me, you do pretty much everything I want. That makes you my servant. Now hurry up and get the food. That, that's kind of how they roll, isn't it? Now my question for you this morning is, when it comes to your faith and when it comes to prayers in particular, are you more like a dog or are you more like a cat? You, you see, our prayers reveal who is really at the center of our universe. And that could be kind of a scary thing. You know, many of us pray like cats. We think that God's primary job is to keep us comfortable. And we come to God with a whole series of, respect, uh, of requests, hoping that he'll do exactly as we tell him to do. And, and that's kind of what our prayer life looks like. Now, you might say to me, I really don't believe that. That's really not what I think about God. But my question to you is, does your prayer life reflect that? Or are you sometimes making the same mistake that I often do and kind of coming to God with a, a kind of a, a list of things you'd like him to do for you rather than perhaps saying, well, what would you like me to do for you? It's a different approach, isn't it? We've been, you know, going through a series called Dangerous Prayers where we've been kind of talking about how do we step out of the kind of safe and comfortable prayers that we're so used to praying? How do we pray prayers that, that move God's heart and move us to action on his behalf? Prayers that, that kind of have been quite challenging. And if, if you've missed any of the series, I really want to encourage you to check them out on our YouTube channel because each of those talks is a, is a really great next step of faith for anybody at any point of their, of their journey of faith to be able to take. You know, we've, we've looked at prayers like break me or speak to me or fill me or search me. And today we're going to look at a different prayer, a prayer called send me. And it, it's, a, it's a pretty scary prayer, but it's a prayer that I think we need to look at and try and kind of drill down what on earth is going on. We find this prayer in the Old Testament part of the Bible, and it's uttered by a guy called Isaiah. And Isaiah is a really important character because he demonstrates a little bit more about what it means to follow God. You know, being a follower of Jesus is about following him wherever he leads us, about responding to his prompting and his calling and to the things that he says in terms of his will for our life. But that can be a challenging thing. You know, what, all over the Bible, we have characters who respond to God's call because the Bible is absolutely full of characters who hear God speaking to them and asking something, giving them a purpose and a meaning. But here's the thing, putting the Bible to the side for just a moment, I believe God speaks to you today. One of the ways he speaks to you is through the Bible. 
He speaks to you through the words that he's uttered to people long ago and to the wisdom that he gives them, which is still relevant for our lives today. And that's why we really take the Bible seriously here and why we want to read it and we want to understand it and we want to see how it applies to our lives. But he can speak to us in many ways. Sometimes he speaks to us through people that we know, through Christians or through, through the church. Maybe somebody sharing what they believe God is saying to you like I'm doing today. That's one of the ways that God can speak to you. God can also speak to you through the Holy Spirit, guiding you and leading you through life. Uh, and just kind of giving you that nudge in the right direction. Sometimes he speaks to you through circumstances, right? But the real question this morning is how do we respond when God gives us that nudge, when he prompts us to do something? How do we respond? And if we look at the Bible and examples of different ways that people can respond, we have some great stories. I'll start off with the first example. It comes from Moses, a guy called Moses, pretty famous guy in the Old Testament. Moses finds himself, after a whole bad run of events. He finds himself herding sheep in a desert, right? And God appears to him. And God says to him, Moses, I am sending you to Egypt, to Pharaoh, to tell him to let my people go. The people of Israel had been enslaved for 400 years by, by this Pharaoh. They were building all kinds of things for him. And he says to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to let my people go. And effectively, Moses says this, Lord, here I am, send someone else. Have you ever done that? I mean, Moses was coming up with excuse after excuse after excuse about why he's the wrong guy for the job. I mean, it's a pretty big job. Let's face it. Nobody really wants to go and speak to the most powerful guy in the known world and tell him, hey, all of these people that are getting your economy going, you need to let them go because it's wrong that you are keeping slaves, right? That's a pretty scary thing to do. So Moses says, here I am, God. Please send someone else. Then there's another example, a guy called Jonah, another famous guy. You know the guy. He got swallowed up by a big fish and vomited out on the beach. What a lovely way to spend your day. But none of that would have happened if when God spoke to him the first time, he'd listened to what he was saying and obeyed him. You see, God had called Jonah to be a prophet and to go and speak in a city called Nineveh to the people that Jonah really disliked the most in life. They were essentially his enemies. And he said, go to your enemies, go to their capital city, and I want you to tell them that I'm telling them to repent, to turn away from the way that they're living and acting and doing these things, because otherwise judgment is coming. But Jonah doesn't want to offer them mercy on God's behalf. So Jonah just says, here I am, Lord, I'm not going. And instead, he heads in the other direction. He decides, I am going to avoid this. Do you ever do that? Do you ever hear God speaking to you and then you think, I'm just going to pretend I haven't heard that. I'm going to get really busy doing something else that distracts me from this annoying thing that God keeps telling me to do. Well, that's another way to respond when God prompts us. But there's a third example, a third guy in the Bible that I think is quite inspirational. His name is Isaiah. And uh, we find him in the Old Testament part of the Bible. He's got a book of his own. He's written this whole book about his life and his experiences with God. And uh, we're going to have a look at that now to, to kind of understand a little bit about the call of the man who modeled a different prayer, a prayer called Send Me. You see, Isaiah was called by God to speak for him. He was called to be a prophet. Basically, we think of prophets quite often almost like fortune tellers, but that's not really what a prophet is. A prophet is more like an ambassador. He goes either before God or for, uh, sorry, either before the king or before certain people, and he tells them what God wants to tell them. Sometimes that's about 
things that might take place in the future if they obey him or disobey him. Sometimes it's about the present and about what they're doing wrong. It just depends. So when you hear the word prophet, think about an ambassador and the way that they sometimes go to deliver good or bad news. And that's kind of what a prophet did for God. He spoke for God to particular people. And Isaiah is one of those. He's called by God to be his mouthpiece and to go and speak for him. And in chapter 6 of the book that he writes, we find out how God first called him and spoke to him to ask him to do this. And chapter 6 begins with these ominous words. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. Now, Uzziah and Isaiah, two different people. So let's get that clear. Uzziah was a king, and he was a good king. He was a really good king in Israel. Uh, Basically, what had happened is there'd been a civil war, and Israel was split into two different countries, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. So he was the king of Israel. And unlike so many of the kings at the time who were really quite despotic, very self-interested, doing things really to just enhance their own wealth and their own power, Uzziah was a good king. So when he died, it shocked the nation. The nation were in mourning, and they were really desperate, thinking, so who's going to be our king now? And in this context, we hear God speaking to Isaiah, the prophet, and he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. By the way, I'm going to explain seraphim just now. If that sounds weird, don't worry. We'll get there. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, I'm going to pause the story here for a moment just to point out something that I think Isaiah wants to make really clear right from the beginning from this vision that he received of the Lord. Something that he recorded so that I think we would realize something really important. Here's what I believe he wants us to know. That there are kings and then there is the king. And they're not the same. You see, Uzziah was a king. He was a good king. But God is the king. The great king, the king of heaven and earth and all of the realms of man, not just Israel, but everywhere. And in this moment where Israel was mourning the loss of their king, I think God wanted to remind Isaiah that he was still on the throne, that he was still in charge, that the Almighty was still there, that hope was not lost because God was always around. And the reason Uzziah had been a good king was that he was obedient to the great king. He was a God-fearing man, and he did things that were right in the eyes of the Lord. And that's what made him such a good king to his people. But God reigns forever. He's not, he's not one of these earthly kings that comes and does some really good stuff, but then either dies or leaves power. He's the good king who stays, the king who's always good, the king who's always wise, the king who always has our best interests at heart. That's who God is. And Isaiah sees him seated on the throne in in this picture meant to compare him to Uzziah, the earthly king, but to show how vastly beyond any earthly king God really is. And we see the scene in heaven with these weird creatures called seraphim 
All we really know about seraphim is there's some form of angelic being. Okay, there's all kinds of myths and legends that abound about seraphim, but all we can really ascertain is that they are somewhere in you know the angelic host. They are some form of angel, and um, they're quite peculiar looking if you take the vision seriously. They've got all kinds of things, including six wings. But I don't think that's the point. I think what they're doing in this story is the point. Because all they're doing is saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what they spend their time doing, is pointing at God and saying he is holy. Now, holiness, that's not something really that we understand very well, is it? Because let's be honest, holiness is what makes God different to everyone and everything else. It's not something we have something to compare to. When we say holiness, we're talking about the perfection of God's character, the perfection of his goodness, the fact that everything about him is always pure and doing the right thing all of the time. And we don't really have any other point of reference, because I don't know about you, but I don't know anyone else like that. I'm not like that. I'm not perfect all of the time. My character can be a bit shady at times. If we're honest, you probably feel that about yourself too. You know, we all try to be good people, but if we're honest, we're not perfect. And that's just what it means to be human. So when these angels are saying, holy, 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 again, we get a picture that God is not like an earthly king. Good as a king might be like Uzziah, as reliable as a good man may be or a good woman may be, God is far more reliable than that. And it's meant to give us this comparison of who's really the best person to guide us and lead us with our lives. But it's a pretty scary thing to encounter a holy God. Isaiah was a good guy. He was a really good guy, but he was terrified. Listen to what he says. He says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You know, Isaiah knew he was a flawed man. And when he talks about having unclean lips, he's not actually talking about his lips. Basically, what he's talking about is the condition of his heart. The fact that sometimes his heart isn't right. You know, sometimes his character isn't perfect. Because, you know, what goes on inside of us comes out of our mouths, doesn't it? The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what Isaiah is essentially saying is that sometimes the things that he says reflect the imperfection of his character. Sometimes, if he's really angry or bitter, words come out that clearly reflect that. And he knows that he's spoken wrong, that he said something wrong. And quite often, they're reflections of your attitudes or your heart. And he's basically saying, how can I stand before a holy God and see him in all of his glory without thinking to myself, I am about to get fried, right? Because that's that's the picture that we have. When we see the holiness of God, we think to ourselves, I'm done for. I'm finished. This is the end. Because we know how good God is. And how can God allow us to be in his presence? Surely we're done for. We're about to be destroyed. But then, that was fun. But then Isaiah learns something else about God. Something that is so important that it transformed his whole life. And something I would suggest could transform your entire life. And it's quite simply this. That God is not just holy and just, but he's also gracious and compassionate, willing to forgive us and to help us to change. You know, in Israel, these altars were used as places where you could bring a sacrifice. Okay, This was a way of confessing your sin before God. 
And it was a way of saying, I've messed up God. And these altars were set on fire with sacrifices on them. And the sacrifice was burnt up as like a symbol of God's justice. The fire of God, a justice burning up the sin of his people. So Isaiah was thinking, I'm doomed. I'm going to get burnt up. But actually what happens is very, very different to that. Listen to what Isaiah says. He says, then one of the seraphim, one of these angelic beings, flies to him with a coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So instead of being burnt up like the offerings were, what Isaiah saw was the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God and the fact that God could purify him of all of his sin. He could atone for his sin, the sins that Isaiah could not atone for. Because let's be honest, we can't undo the things that we've done, can we? If you've done something wrong, it's done. You can't go back and undo it. It's on the record forever. But what Isaiah learned is that God is able to remove that guilt from you because he's judge and also the one who is your advocate, the one who wants the best for you, the one who is willing to forgive because he loves you, flawed as you are. And in this vision, we see a man of unclean lips, in other words, a man with a flawed heart, recognizing that God is not only able but willing to transform even his heart, to purify him like fire purifies gold. And we see a life-transforming realization. You see, if all you know about God is how holy he is and how just he is and how good he is, then when he says to you, I've got a plan for your life and a purpose for your life, what you're going to say is one of two things. You're either going to say, here I am, God, send someone else because you're afraid of messing it up, right? Or you're going to say, here I am, God, I'm not going. Because if you're honest, the things that a good God really wants aren't always the things that you want. They're not necessarily in your self-interest. And we're all a little bit self-interested at times, aren't we? We all want what's best for me. But if you know that God is not just just, that he's not just good, that he's not just the judge of all of the earth, but that he is willing to step into your corner, that he is willing to atone for all of the things that you've done wrong, and that he is able to transform even the heart within you that wants what it wants, to actually want what he wants. If you know that kind of mercy from God, then all of a sudden when God calls you and says, I have a plan for your life, you can say a really dangerous prayer. You can say, send me. And the reason you can say that is because you know that God has your best interests at heart. Wherever he's sending you, whatever it is, as difficult as the mission might be like Moses and Jonah discovered, God has your best interests at heart. And if you know that goodness, that, that kindness of God, it changes everything. When we realize that when we communicate with God through prayer, we're not just speaking to a judge, but to an advocate who wants our restoration and the very best for us, that enables us to pray dangerous prayers. Isaiah heard God speak, saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he didn't say send someone else. He didn't say I'm not going. He said Send me. And I want you to notice, he hadn't even heard where God was sending him yet. Little clue. It was a difficult task. If you want to find out why, 
read on in the rest of the story. But the point is, before he even knew, Isaiah had learned an important lesson about the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the love that God had for him, not to burn him up and consume him like some messed up character, but to actually say to him, I have a plan and a purpose for your life, and whatever's standing in the way of that plan right now, I'm able to change. I can remove your guilt, I can purify your heart, because I love you, and I have a plan for your life. You know, the New Testament part of the Bible has lots of really important wisdom in it. One of the pieces of that is from an early Christian leader, uh, a leader of many of the churches that got set up in in, uh, the early days of Christianity. His name is Paul. And he taught that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. In other words, it is the kindness, the goodness, the favor of God, the mercy of God that leads us to turn away from the things that we know are wrong, that changes our heart in such a way that actually what we want is to do what God wants. Because when we know that God is kind, we know that we can trust him. When we know that God is merciful, we know that we're not going to mess up such that the assignment that he gives us is just too hard for us. And he's not going to hold it against us. And so we can say, yes, Lord, I can hear you. Send me. Do whatever you want with my life. It changes everything. And my question for you this morning is, are you willing to say to God, whatever you ask, the answer is yes? Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how good God is towards you? Do you know how merciful he longs to be towards you, even if you've messed up? Like all of us have. Even if you have a lot of baggage, God still wants the best for you. It is never too late to turn around because it is the kindness of God that brings about that change in our hearts and in our lives. Whatever's going on right now, know this, that God will show you kindness if you turn to him. He will show you favor. And he has proved this once and for all when he sent his son as a sacrifice once and for all to atone for all of our sin. That's how committed he is to your best interests, to doing what's best for you, to setting you free from the fear and the guilt that sometimes plague our lives. That's who God really is. He is just. He is good. But he's also merciful and loving and willing to change us and to help us through. So are you willing to say yes to God? When he calls you, when he nudges you, when he prompts you, when he says to you, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Because make no mistake, he does. Each and every one of you is here for a reason. And the day that we find that sense of purpose is the day that we find the real fulfillment of our lives. It's not always easy, but it is good. And I want to encourage you, when God speaks, pray that dangerous prayer and say, send me, Lord. Whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And that might be a big thing. It could be huge. God called me to move countries twice. That's a pretty big deal. I'm not going to tell you that that was easy, but I will tell you God has been faithful. But it could also be a small thing, a little act of obedience that has a much bigger impact than you'd ever realize. God can sometimes call us to do very small things that have a massive impact. Sometimes we won't even know why. We won't even know what that is, but the point is, will you trust him? Will you say yes? Will you obey and then see what God does? That's my question for you. That's my challenge for you. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that you would pray a dangerous prayer. Send me, Lord. Can I pray for you?
that God would enable you to do that, to see the splendor and the wonder of who he is and how much he loves you so that you can trust him wherever he sends you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your justice. In a world that is so unfair so often, we have hope that it will not always be this way, that you will hold people to account when, when they do evil things and there is no remorse in their heart. But thank you, Lord, that you do offer forgiveness for those who come to a point of recognizing that what they've done is wrong and who want to live a different life. You offer forgiveness and change of our hearts. You purify us by your love, by your incredible forgiveness. You are able to take that punishment that is due to us and pay for it yourself. That's what love looks like. And so I pray especially for everybody listening online or on site this morning that they would know the full extent of your love, how committed to their good you are, that you would even pay the penalty for the things that they've done wrong so that they might be set free to serve you and to be obedient with you in the peace that comes from knowing that they are loved. May your kindness lead us all to repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.